Welcome to What's the Word Downtown, a weekly podcast dedicated to mining the depths of the word, a word that's sharp and active in downtown Tyler, Texas. Join Eric, Matt, and Mike as we get the word out at Bethel. Hey, welcome to What's the Word Downtown. I'm Matt McGill with Pastor Eric Barton, and I am so stoked. I love these stories. I love Genesis. I mean, it's where I came from. It's the Old Testament. It's where we all came from. Come on. So Moses, you, you, you jumped into 12, and Moses is telling the story to us. Is that right? That's correct. So here we are at the call of Abram. Yep. And where is, where is Abram walking around in circles, kicking dirt, <laughs> when we meet up with our hero? Well, that's the great thing about these Old Testament stories is yeah. that they're not heroes. That's right. We want them to be, and mm-hmm. we want them to be heroes because we want to look at their lives and aspire to be like them, mm-hmm. but they're not heroes, and so we are like them That's because great. we're fools falling forward all the time, sort of surfing the wave of grace until we get completely taken to the sea floor and ground across the sand and realize, oh... Yeah, I'm not a hero, and neither was he, but you know what? Throughout all of it, there is an unseen who is so good, who is so great, who is so sovereign that even a guy like Abram, so if I can wax narrative summary for a moment, we find Abram, means his name means father of many, Mm He's sitting on the Euphrates River in a very advanced civilization, Ur of the Chaldeans. When I say advanced civilization, I didn't get into this on Sunday because I only had 90 minutes to preach, or at least it felt that way. (laughs) Ur of the Chaldeans was excavated about 100 years ago, and it was an absolutely massive archaeological um, project in which they found death masks and they found jewelry and they found ornate inscriptions and all these kinds of things. They found the tomb and the burial of one of the queens of Ur the Chaldeans and it would rival what you would have found in Babylon or in Egypt. It was incredible. So Mm -hmm. it's not like they were sitting around in in grass roof thatched huts with dirt floors. An extremely advanced, very uh, evolved society. And you've got Abram and his extended family living in Ur the Chaldeans, which is the center of moon worship. It's pagan idolatry. And that is Moses's way of saying, hey, listen, the plight of humanity is hopeless. Our best shot net of the fall from Genesis 3 has found itself sitting in this pagan context in a cultic center of moon worship. And not only that, but this guy, Abram, who is from the line of Shem, Noah's son, who is the recipient of the promised blessing from God to be the redeeming line, who comes from the line of Seth, Adam and Eve's third son. It goes from Seth, several generations, to Noah, to Shem. And then by the time 10 generations go by, we're with Abram. He's an Ur the Chaldeans, and he's a pagan idolater. His father's name means moon. I mean, all of the great biblical characters, their names say something about Yahweh, right? That's Elijah, right. Yahweh, Elijah, or El is God, or Yahweh yeah. is God. This El guy's El. dad means moon. moon. So it's hopeless. The line has failed. Have you ever been in a place where you realized or it became real to you, there's nothing for me here? Yeah. I need to get the out of here. <laughs> 
popsicles. I mean, isn't it? I mean, there's something like that going on. There's so much going on, but there's nothing for you here, Abram. Whether or not... When I say there's so much going on, I mean, there's all sorts of worship. As you say, it was a, in its day, an advanced uh, city. Yep. Uh, there was plenty to do, but nothing really for Abram. There was nothing left for him but death. Mm -hmm. And yet, apparently, that was sufficient until God comes and says, time to go. Mm -hmm. Now, mm -hmm. God could have called anybody else, theoretically, but he didn't. Because when we say that God is faithful, yeah. God is faithful not just to his own character, which he is, but to the promise that he made to Adam and Eve that goes through Seth and all of this dysfunction and rebellion through the people of the flood narrative, through the people of the rebellion of the Tower of Babel, and apparently Abram's family is the last remnant of that family. Mm. And so it comes to him, even though he's the last guy that God should be faithful to, mm -hmm. except God's faithful to his promise because if he wasn't, it would un-God God. This is what Paul says in Timothy. He cannot deny himself. You and I need to hear this. All of our people need to hear this. 100%. That Abram's not the hero, but that God is the hero of right. Abram's story as much as he's the hero of yours and my story. The idea being, like, and what a comfort too, right? That to look at Abram or Moses or Noah as some sort of aspirational heroes ultimately just positions us right up under the burden of achieving for God. That's it. All the time you look at, and I'm not dogging any particular curriculum writer for children's materials. Unless it hits home, if the shoe fits where it. I mean, okay, go ahead. oftentimes we'll see all these characters in scripture and they're always depicted like they've got perfect Lee Horsley beards. Mm -hmm. They look like Matt Houston, private eye. Mm -hmm. They're swole. They've got mm -hmm. some reason tribal bands on their That's arm. Right. And they're just like, they're so aspirational. Mm -hmm. I'm so thankful that what we've done on our first floor in our new children's room, our children's directors depicted a lot of these guys, and they're awkward and they're squirmy and, and they look a little like idiots. They kind of I mean, do. I mean, so I one of the guys great. who who designed our figure of Abram down there goes, "Man, I I'm sorry. He looks more like Obi Wan Kenobi." And instead of Abraham, I said, no, that's it. That's perfect. He probably was. He probably was. He's probably 130 pounds. He's awkward and squirrely. He's got a barren wife. He's a pagan moon worshiper. He's not a moral dude. He's trying to survive in any way he can. And this is the guy that God works with. And his faithlessness does not in any way impugn or lessen or minimize God's faithfulness. So you're right. I need to hear that. You need to hear that because I have made a dumpster fire of my life. Mm -hmm. I don't know, a couple million times mm -hmm. or so it seemed, at mm -hmm. least in thought, if not word, mm -hmm. and certainly in deed. Sure. And you know what? God's, his plan is not thwarted by my stupidity. But he has to do it alongside somebody. Yeah. Sarai. Right. Uh, he doesn't go through this thing alone. No. He's, he's called of God, but he's called essentially alongside his wife. The covenant is made to Abram, but by extension, Abram's wife. Well, he's the vessel of blessing, mm -hmm. and sometimes that vessel has to get swabbed. Mm -hmm. And there's got to be somebody there to clean that that vessel of blessing because left to our own devices, I mean, even Peter backslides, right? In, mm -hmm. in Antioch, he refuses to eat with Gentiles, that kind of thing. So yes, Sarai is going to be a refining tool. I know I'm jumping ahead, but I'm, I see in this story 
of God calling Abram out of nowhere. He's a real nowhere man. I mean, calling him out of nowhere to somewhere. Uh And I think about what's going to happen later when Abram says, if you can just find one yeah. And he ends up saving his cousin Lot out of Sodom and Gomorrah mm-hmm. because the experiential knowledge of having been delivered made him believe of God that God is a deliverer. And if he can do it for me, he can do it for him or them. And that's something like what we talk about here is the idea of like what happens to us then happens through us. Right. Unfortunately, we are a species that learns best from experience. There's the old adage, experience is what you get when you don't get what you want. That's right. And that's how we learn. Cold comfort, but, yes. you know. Yeah, well, yeah, but it's, it's, it's helpful on the backside <laughs> right, to understand. Right. Abram learns this, and then he's able to be a vessel of blessing because mm-hmm. of his own scar tissue and his experience learning. Mm-hmm. Now, wisdom, Solomon would say, is learning those things without having to have the experience. Unfortunately, we don't have that capacity, capacity mm-hmm. on our own. That's why we need the Spirit of God and the Word of God. And yes, of course people of God, but that's also sort of from a meta level, the reason that Moses is writing this to the children of Israel who have been nowhere people in the land of Goshen, in the Delta area of Egypt, sojourners themselves, they come out of Egypt and Moses is writing to them to say, hey, your forefather that you know and revere, you know what? He was a smoldering wreck too. He wasn't a hero. But, but also, hey, you've been delivered. Guess what? The same God that delivers you did not change. He was always a deliverer. So let me go back and tell you the story of where you come from right. through the lens of God saves. Yeah. So when you have Moses saying, you guys, you guys, I'm paraphrasing. Yeah. When you have Moses saying, you guys, this is an old, old story. Yeah. I mean, for us, Moses is 1,500 years B.C. It's 3,500 years ago. And for yeah. Moses to say, this is an old, old story. Man, that ought to give us all kinds of security and certainty and assurance in the kind of God that we have. He does not change. He cannot change. It would un-God God. Mm. And so that ought to give us great comfort. And yet, like Abram, problems come and we forget the promise. So what does Moses understand about Adam and Eve that informs his telling of Abram and Sarah? I know oh, what I man. mean by that is, is there something like, is it, are we being, is this something being lined up for us about Israel and about how God saves a man, but God saves oftentimes a man as he is connected to a woman through a process of uh, refinement and uh, missteps and yeah. forgiveness and grace? And I think the spirit of God who inspired all sure. of the scripture understands that perfectly. Yeah. I think Moses probably understood it in a finite sense. Sure. In the same way that when David writes the Psalms, I don't know that David understands all the messianic implications of some of the Psalms that he mm-hmm. writes, but I think Moses does look in the rearview mirror and see, oh, wow, man and woman created in God's image, perfect community in the presence of God. It's wonderful. And yet he's not enough in their minds and they grasp for more. And that creates mistrust, fallenness, anguish. And ultimately, so I'm going to do it again. I'm going to start with a covenant with two people, mm-hmm. Abram and Sarai. Yep. And at this time, instead of it being up to them, which they will surely fail. Correct. I'm going to show my faithfulness through their failure, in spite of their failure. Not even in spite, but intentionally, not despite, but through it. Superintending. Because, yes. Superintending their failure for his faithfulness. Precisely. 
because God brings life out of death. And so we said it on Sunday, not even death is an obstacle to God's faithfulness. We think, well, death happened, that's it. And so to get very precise, we hear people in a marriage context, since we're talking about Abel sure, and Sarah, sure. divorce is the end. Divorce is not the end. Reconciliation is still possible. Now, remarriage, that's the end. Yeah, sure. But divorce is not the end any more than death for God is not the end of his faithfulness. He brings life out of death. And that's where the gospel comes to bear. Don't you see that coming kingdom that will be is flickering and already firing in individual contexts and in communal contexts. And we get to have that benefit and blessing now. So Abram and Sarai, they're dealing with a an age that even prefigures the existence of Israel, mm. but they get to be the vessels that usher that in and become the progenitors, we might say, in Genesis, of that new blessing. Israel is to be a blessing. It's a son. I mean, so when he renames her sister, uh, essentially, not renames her, but when he calls, he says, hey, I'm going to have to call you sister to okay. save our lives. Our li- or just his life. To save my life. To save yeah, my you're going to be fine, but i got to save my life. Right. You seem to, you didn't necessarily say, hey, this was sin or this was outright unbelief. Was this just the shrewd way to keep from getting killed? Or was this also, or is it a mixture of belief and unbelief, shrewdness and folly? No, it was folly. Full folly. Full folly. Full stop. Why? The commentary comes when God sends plagues in the house of Pharaoh. Like, okay. this is my vessel, but you've done a thing. And you did the action, but somebody else is going to suffer the consequence. Didn't tease that out either. Mm. But we tend to think that there's this transactional one-for-one thing. I do a dumb thing, and I suffer consequence. Oh, no. Unfortunately, it's way worse. I do a dumb thing. I sin. I exhibit some capacity of faithlessness. That's Romans. Sin is that which proceeds apart from faith. And that's what Abram does. And you know what? People in Egypt... We don't know all the details, but they suffered affliction and plague, and Pharaoh's house is wrecked over it. Now, Abram doesn't suffer consequence, but somebody did. An innocent suffered for the sake of the guilty. So even in that, we're seeing, oh, man, someone's going to have to atone for what you've done because you can't cover your own sin. Every other religion says you can cover your own sin. Nope, you cannot. It's too much of a mess. There's not enough gold stars to cover all those red X's. And so even in the Abram and Egypt story, you, you see that sort of flicker, that faint picture of what's to come. But before then, you see Abram called out of Ur. He apparently goes to Haran and goes, you know, this is probably good. And yet God says, no, I think you know better. We're not done here. Right. Keep going because God's always had in mind that particular piece of property that's going to be the epicenter of blessing. And so he takes him to where there's nobody else in that area, or so he thinks, Mm -hmm. that knows who Yahweh is. Now we'll find out in another couple chapters that actually there is one. There's a priest king named Melchizedek. Yeah. And Abram, and we have no idea that this guy exists or where he comes from. He's this mythical legend of a character, but he's real. And do we really even get it until Hebrews? It doesn't Hebrew isn't Hebrew. The author of Hebrews is the yeah, one. Yeah, we get it, it in Psalm one ten, and then in Hebrews seven and eight. Uh-huh. When you go, oh, that's pretty awesome. Abram doesn't know that. There's just like in the book of Job. There's a narration that the the 
The person in the story doesn't get the narration. He doesn't have the value of hearing from Moses. We do. Okay, so let me ask you this, because I, I keep I keep wanting to go back to this sense of like Matthew, where in the book of Matthew, Jesus be, is the new Israel and goes through baptism, yep. goes through the wilderness in a desert in order to get us back to Eden, as, as it were. He's, he's taking the steps of, huma- of humanity, right? He plays out... Um, naked but not afraid right like uh, he's the new adam uh does is there a sense here that god is beginning again according to his faithfulness with a couple yeah in a sense. abram and sarai i mean he's the first of israel right he's the he's the he's father the, of israel he's the father of israel yeah israel will come through him correct and so you have a people that will be called oddly this people, Israel, is called the Son of God. Hmm. Until finally, it's preparatory and pointing toward the Son of God, who hmm. is a better Israel, who's also the last Adam. I mean, you can't point more emphatically towards Jesus. Hmm. The line of Seth through Shem, ultimately through a son that becomes the people of God, which is the Son of God, ultimately into the person, hmm. not a people, but the person who is the Son of God. That's why we always want to make a big deal about it. We're not trying to be Israel. No, it's better than that. We are in Israel. Mm-hmm. True mm-hmm. Israel, the true Son of God, very God of very God, light of light. And to be in Christ means, yeah, you're in Israel, but not the people group, the person. Mm-hmm. And Abram is the guy that God chooses to use to to weave that thread through the narrative of all the wreckage, dysfunction, and destruction to say, I'm going to have my gospel. Because if we had been if we had been one to the people group, we would still have enemies. But yeah. but in the person, we are absolutely victorious. Correct. And he who literally is in us has could overcome not the be world. loved more. That's it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's exactly so right. as we go through this, your main your main theme is the faithfulness of God. Yep. The faithlessness of man, mm-hmm. uh, the ways in which God uh, lays his righteousness upon us as a gift that we did not, could not, would not earn. And yeah. uh, and that this is the genesis of that. Right. So you got God's plans, which mean he's going to bless you, not because you deserve it, because Abram had done literally nothing to earn or deserve the blessing of God, but God blesses him, be a blessing. So God's plan with Abram is, I want you to be the intentional, volitional, deliberate instrument of blessing to all people around you. So this has got to be a revolutionary idea. It is. The idea that blessing would come forth from a man. Correct. Not from a God. Correct. Exactly. I'm going to pour my blessing through a person. Hmm. Right. So the question is... He's going to take, this is like uh, uh, going to, uh, you know, a six-week course or thousands of years course <laughs> about a thing that's going to happen. And then when that, that course is over, that thing happens. A little bit. I mean, in a sense, what God is doing, this is the beginning. This is Genesis. So mm-hmm. we can, we're, fair, we're safe to say it's the beginning. Uh, but, but the idea being that, that God is now going to disclose himself in a process that's going to teach humanity about Jesus before they ever meet Jesus. That's right. God's blessing, astonishingly, is going to come through a single person. Mm -hmm. 
which Paul will talk about this in Galatians, seed and offspring, not seeds and offsprings, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. through a person. We see the flicker of that 2,000 years before Jesus. Mm -hmm. And that's when this is, about 2,000 years or so? Thereabouts, yeah. Mm -hmm. So God's going to bless a person to be a blessing to others. That's God's plan. And God blesses him, and Abram starts to be a blessing. He preaches and proclaims Yahweh. Other souls, it says, nefesh in Hebrew, come to his entourage and want to be with that covenant community of blessing because Abram says, Yahweh, this God has given me promise. I'm going to be a blessing to all of you. And so there's livestock and there's agrarian uh, abundance and there's all these people. And then the problems come. And so Abram abandons God's plan and adopts his own. And rather than be a blessing, which is what God gave him the imperative. He becomes a he, curse. He becomes a curse. Mm. In his own strength and wit and will, he becomes a curse to those around whom he finds himself. We're not given really a clear indication Man, going that going to Egypt so... was wrong, but you rely on your own strength, will, and wit, you will be a consequence to somebody else. Man, that is so heavy. We got to hear that. Because over the past, what, 50 years in America, how has evangelicalism oh. swung towards seeking a, a, an ascent to power politically? Correct. That has sullied itself oh. and has tarnished its name and reputation. In a sense, culturally speaking, Correct. we have not always been a blessing uh, to those around us. And no. there's, so this is a very appreciate, uh, you know, teaching. We said it. We talked about it at lunch earlier. Yeah. We shared we a ate. meal. We, we broke ate. bread. Yeah. We ate. Christians have never done well in positions of power. Christians are called to be in positions of prayer so that we can be properly postured to be vessels of blessing. But when we want to lead in our own strong right hand, we end up causing consequence on people who are maybe outside the covenant community, but our actions have actually succeeded in driving them further from mm -hmm. cultural, mm -hmm. I mean, a covenant community. Mm -hmm. And so what a, what a travesty. And yet there's grace for that too. Sure. We sure. still proclaim the good news. So that's where we find Abram amasses all of this wealth to be a blessing. But man, as soon as he looks at the waves, see also Peter walking on the water, tries to take things over on his own, he sinks. He causes problems. Mm. And yet God doesn't go, well, now that I guess we're done. I guess that's it. We have to start. But he's got to train a people in faithfulness, doesn't he? He does. He I mean, that's what's does. happening. That's why he didn't just show up with uh, uh, Jesus in chapter 4 of Genesis. <laughs> right. Right? I mean, exactly. after the fall. Oh, there's the cure. Let's get it. No, we're going to train the mind, the collective consciousness of a people mm -hmm. to, to prepare itself, right. even though they'll definitely miss it when he comes. We're going to show what the Jews would call the, the eons mm. or the ages, that in every age, sin is a really big deal. It's the biggest deal except for one, and that is the movement and the grace of God. Sin is a wrecking ball that causes such devastation that no one could restore it save the restoring God who chooses to because he's also good. The blessing has to come through a person mm -hmm. because if the blessing doesn't come through a person, then we might as well be walking around looking at the moon, talking in abstractions about God. That's and right. that's what Abram was doing. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Get out of, get the hell out of here yeah. and go and be a blessing. How do I do that? You do that by learning of me mm -hmm. and learning of you. Right. 
And there's there's going to be a there's there, I mean there's a lot of face to palm moments for Abram. Of course, and I think necessarily so because then you've got a guy who can empathetically communicate the glory, the greatness, the sovereignty, the grace of God to get it done through a fallen and foolish vessel like himself. Like himself. That is right. actually a, a humility that is appealing to say, look, you don't have to be Captain Awesome. Mm -hmm. I'm a fabulous failure and God loves me and works through me. So there's an old adage we see all the time. Most people trust a Christian before they trust Christ. But when they trust a Christian, they don't look at him aspirationally and go, man, you're so awesome. They go, wait, your life was a dumpster fire too, and yet you're loved and accepted and known and seen by God? How is this? And that's Abram's story that we get to basically replicate again and again millions of times all over the globe. That his power is made perfect in my weakness. That's right. But we have to acknowledge our weakness. And we will, we can, and we won't, and we're forgiven for that. Do you know? I mean, it's... But we have to have these kinds of eye-to-eye, soul-to-soul piercing conversations that say, I need the gospel, I need the giver of the gospel, and I need you to be one of those givers of the gospel. And that God would continue to call things that are not as though they were. Bingo. We'll see you at 10 o'clock Sunday morning for chapter 13. Actually, we're going to oh, survey forward to 15, but we're going to talk about 13 15's awesome. I can't wait. Fantastic. Come on. Chapter 15. See you then. Bye now.